Welcome to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. On this podcast, you'll hear from Trevor Oldham, the founder of Podcasting You and host of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. Trevor has been running Podcasting You, a podcasting booking agency that helps real estate investors guest on podcasts. And after working with hundreds of real estate clients, he shares tips and tricks along with insights from his guests for how to start investing in real estate, grow your real estate business, and how to build credibility and become a go-to expert. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. I'm super excited to announce today's guest on the show, Tiffany Alexi. With over a decade of experience investing in real estate, Tiffany has a done it all, including wholesaling, flipping, rentals, though her primary strategies are buy and hold and the Burr method. Tiffany also owns and operates a full service real estate brokerage firm servicing the Rollam-Derry, North Carolina metro era. Tiffany, excited to have you here today. Thanks for having me. And for our audience, you've done quite a lot between the wholesaling, the flipping, and then now you're going to the buy and hold strategy and obviously the Burr method. What was sort of the thought process of getting into real estate investing? You know, if you could take yourself back to when you first thought about it and, and what was that the thought process and, and what made you think that you wanted to start investing in real estate? Yeah, so it really happened by accident. <laughs> so I was in college and applying to a bunch of different grad schools. And knowing that I was going to be in the Raleigh area for at least a couple of years attending grad school, I decided at that point, I was like, well, instead of looking for a place to rent, why don't I potentially buy a place? My family's in real estate. And so it's, you know, that bug was kind of planted. So I just literally just browsed in Craigslist one day and I found a condo. It was listed for 112000 And this was back in 2011. Things in the Triangle area were still in recovery mode from the 08 recession. So this four bedroom condo was 112,000. It was about 10 minutes to downtown Raleigh, 10 minutes to NC State. I was like, okay, perfect. I will, I'll look at that. So it was literally the first place that I looked at. I went and the numbers seemed to make sense to me. So I could rent each bedroom for about three to 350. And I only needed a bedroom and a bathroom <laughs> as a grad student. So I bought it. I ended up negotiating it down to it's like 102 and then they credited me for some carpet and paint allowance. So it ended up being around 100000 And I moved in and I rented out the other three bedrooms to one friend and then two other people that I found on Craigslist, um, two other tenants. And yeah, I mean, I did that for the first couple of years during grad school. And for those of you listening in our audience, this sounds like a, you know, a nice house hacking strategy where you buy this condo and you know you live in one bedroom and, and rent out the other bedrooms. And then you, know, you also get the other house hacking strategies where someone, you buy a three family, a duplex, four family, and you live in one unit and rent out the other units. But someone that's maybe considering in our audience that is thinking about buying, let's say if it's not a condo, let's say it's a single family house and they want to rent out the bedrooms while also living there. How was that experience like living with these roommates that you had never met before? Was that, you know, did it go okay? Was there any challenges or experiences you had with them? Yeah. So one of them was my friend from undergrad. And so I already knew that we got along well. Others two I found on Craigslist and yeah, it was just a matter of, you know, getting the background check, the credit check, making sure they had no prior evictions, just like you would with any other tenant. It does get a little complicated when you actually live with them. Um, but, you know, at the time I, we were around the same age, so it wasn't that big of a deal. We we actually ended up becoming friends. And funny enough, those two, so it was a guy and a girl that I found on Craigslist. They are actually married now. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
and I sold my house last summer. <laughs> <laughs> That's very nice. And it seems like, you know, you got started in real estate in a great strategy. I know when I was reading your bio that you had mentioned that you'd also done some wholesaling and flipping. And then now you don't, you do more of the, the buy and hold strategy with trying to use the bird method along with that. What was your thought process of going over more towards a single family or let's say the buy and hold as instead of doing the, the wholesaling and flipping? So I've always had the mindset of wanting passive income or at least as passive as possible. The real estate is not truly ever passive, but with the rentals, it's more semi-passive. That's It's just about cash flow for me because I do have the real estate brokerage that I'm working on more than full-time really. So that was kind of the push behind it. But I was finding here and there opportunities of being able to add value with the burn method. And so in a couple of my deals, I guess you would say, I've combined the burn method with a house hack and that actually works really well. And it actually, you can do it in commercial as well, which not many people think about. They just kind of think immediately about residential. But yeah, the burn method is my favorite just because you can pull the same amount of cash out and you're literally recycling your money. And over time, you're building up this portfolio with equity that you've created and that you may not necessarily have had to start with. And you're just using the same pot of money over and over again. And let's say there's someone audience that they've heard of the bird method, but I'd love for you to talk about how you look at properties and make sure that you're going to be able to add that value. Are you looking to buy a two bedroom and add an extra bedroom, you know, finish a base? I guess, what does that look like when you're going through the bird method, just to make sure that lose money or make sure that the property gets appraised down the road at a good value? Yeah. So none of mine had to add a bedroom or a bathroom. I'm definitely not opposed to that if the numbers make sense. But with mine, I essentially, I buy something, it's an ugly duckling. A lot of people are looking past it because it's just, you look at pictures and you just cringe. That's when you know you've hit something good. And then it's just a matter of running the numbers, looking at the comps, seeing, okay, if I put twenty to 30000 into this, into this property and improving it, what could I sell it for? Or what could I, the value be that I can refinance later? So it's just a matter of, knowing the numbers and being able to run comps well. And for, you know, when you're going in there and adding the value, you mentioned, you know, maybe it needs twenty or $30,000 worth of work. Are you investing your own capital? Are you taking a two or three K loan from the bank? Are you using a private lender? What does that sort of look like? Yeah. So it's usually my own capital and it's really, you know, as soon as I put it in, I get the work done, I rent it and then I do a cash out refi. So I'm pulling that same, hopefully 20 to 30 grand back out. Ideally you'd be pulling out more, but minimum pulling that same amount of money back out and then using that money again on the next project. That's excellent. And as you've been building up your portfolio, you know, you mentioned you've been in the real estate investing space for quite a while. Now, what do you think some of the challenges that you've experienced as an investor have come up? Well, I mean, the most obvious one right now is the market that we're in. It's an extremely, extremely competitive seller's market now, um, especially here in Raleigh, because we just got news of Apple coming to the area in 2023. And so it was already a very competitive seller's market, but now it's even more so. So, I mean, that's really been the biggest challenge is finding deals now. And it's meaning that most people are going further out. So instead of looking in Raleigh and Cary, they're looking in Garner, Wendell, Zebulon, Nightdale, even Greensboro, Burlington, really anything within about an hour's drive of Raleigh. You're just having to go further out and travel a little bit further to find the properties that are a little bit better on the numbers. Oh, I can definitely attest to that. I know I'm in Massachusetts yeah. and I'm, I'm trying to buy my first two, three or four family and the numbers just don't make sense. But looking where my fiance is in upstate New York, which is about a two hour drive from where I am, 
I'm touring a property actually tomorrow and, and the numbers just make so much more sense. So I could definitely, I can definitely attest to, to looking at having to look a little further outside the, the typical area. Yeah. I mean, there's still, I'm still on a bunch of wholesaler lists. So that's pretty much key. Wholesalers are great to work with because they are the ones sourcing the properties. So I found some that way, but even now the wholesalers, they have their buyers lists and the buyers on those lists know how competitive the market is. So even though it's not getting full market exposure, they're still more than likely going over asking price or over whatever the wholesaler is asking. And on these wholesalers, because out of curiosity, I'm, I've been on one for in Massachusetts and, and a property came up. It was a four family for $4.99 and the rents were seemed to be pretty good for the area. Mm-hmm. And the issue that I had just run into is I wouldn't be able to see the inside of the property pictures. You know, I could, I could get the address and I could do a drive-by of the property. So let's say if you're going out there and you're on this wholesale list and a property comes out, that's a great deal. The rents make sense. The comps, everything looks good, but you can't see the inside of the property. Has that come up for you or is that something that you know the property is just such a good deal that you don't necessarily care too much about what it looks like on the inside? So it really depends. Most of the wholesalers, the list that I'm on, they at least have a video walkthrough of the inside Mm. or photos. So that makes it a little bit better. I wouldn't necessarily exclude something that doesn't have interior photos, especially if it's rented. It could be a little bit more difficult to get access, Mm. but I'll definitely do a drive-by, walk around, look at the condition from the outside. And typically if I can have like a floor plan and I can pull comps, rental comps to see, to make sure the tenants are paying market rent or if they're not, how much I can bump them up. It's not something that I would a hundred percent exclude automatically, but it is, it would take a little bit more thought and a little bit more research to make me feel comfortable with it. And going along with that, cause this is also another question I had, cause I've been personally for the property that I'm looking at tomorrow, the rents that might be a little bit more below market value. So let's say you, you find a, a property and it's being rented out at $800 per year. And the market in the area is $1,100 a month per unit, same sort of style, say it's a two bedroom, one bathroom. When you come in and you purchase the property, how do you go about rent, you know, increasing those rents, say $200, $100 a month without, I guess, not like angering the tenant, but just like having a good relationship with them? Yeah, I mean, it really depends on the current rents and what they're at what the lease terms are, Mm. if they're month to month or if they're a year long. And it also depends on the tenant. You know, if they're paying on time, if they're a good tenant, oftentimes it's better to just slowly increase the rent up to market because you want to keep that tenant in there. You know, because if they do move out, you have those turnover costs, especially if they're going to go in and renovate the unit. You can maybe do one at a time. So keep, you know, if it's a four unit, keep three in there and then have one unit that you're renovating and then potentially move one of the other tenants or get that one filled up and and just go around versus doing all four at the same time and having it be completely vacant. So it really just depends on the tenants that you already have and the lease term, but definitely there's value in keeping tenants, especially if they're good. And if they're willing to pay, even if it's not market, even if it's not that 1100, maybe they're willing to pay a thousand but you know, they're great tenants. They're going to keep it up. And you don't, you won't have that initial capital outlay of having to renovate that. I think that's excellent advice. I know our our audience will find value. And I want to hop over to the brokerage side of your business. And I know a lot of the times as a real estate investor, people to talk about, you know, should they be a real estate agent? Should they go out there mm-hmm. and get your license? But you know, you took that a step further and owning your own brokerage. So how has that process been like? What was the decision making behind that? Is it just a love for real estate and, and helping out people? Yeah. I mean, that's really, that was it. So I started as an investor. I really had no intention of being a real estate agent. I had that first house tax, that investment property for about two years. 
years. And then I was in between careers and trying to figure out what I wanted to do long term. So I was like, you know what? At the time, I was just working a couple of retail jobs. And I was like, I need to do something that uses my brain. Now, Tiffany, I want to hop into the brokerage side of your business and just talk a little bit about why you decided to go into owning your own brokerage, especially from the real estate investor side. And I'd love for you just to share with our audience what that looks like. Sure. So I actually had no intention of becoming a broker when I got my license. I really just got my license as an investor because I want to save myself the commission on deals. And also just to learn more about the industry, the ins and outs, the legal aspects and everything, just to make sure I was best prepared when I was representing myself. I had no intention of being an agent. I got my license and friends started finding out that I had my license when I was in real estate. So I had a couple of friends from grad school reach out and they're like, Hey, Tiffany, you have your license. Can you help me buy a house? Like I'm looking for my first house. Mm-hmm. And at the time I was kind of in between jobs and not really sure where my career was going to go. I had had a couple of corporate jobs and just didn't like working for other people. And so I was kind of exploring, you know, the idea of entrepreneurship, but not really sure what I was going to do. So at the time I was like, yeah, sure. I'll help you buy a house. You know, I've done it a couple of times already for myself. Yeah. It just grew from there. So I started helping a couple friends and then, you know, word got out and yeah, now I have a team of seven agents that I work with and we've been in business. So my four year anniversary is coming up of my firm. And yeah, it's been go, go, go ever since. That's excellent. And if I saw correctly, are you opening up another office space somewhere? We are. So we just expanded to Greensboro. Um, We're primarily based in the Raleigh-Durham area, but um, I have a broker on the team who actually grew up in Greensboro. So she's very, very familiar with the area. And it's only about an hour outside of Raleigh, maybe an hour, 15 minutes. And so it made sense, you know, because I, to capitalize on her experience as well. That's perfect. But Tiffany, I want to be respectful of your time. And there's just a couple of few final questions that I want to ask you before we end the show today. And, and something that I'm asking every real estate investor that hops onto the show is, in your opinion, where do you think the real estate market is going in 2021 and beyond? Oh, that's a good question. I get asked that pretty much every day. <laughs> I wish I knew. I wish I had a crystal ball. You know, a couple years ago, I was thinking there's no way this can keep going, but the seller's market has just continued. The With the foreclosure or with the eviction bans being lifted soon, I think in June, and mortgage forbearance programs ending from COVID. The, the thought is that there will be more foreclosures on the market. Granted, who knows how many will actually come up. And with this market, I don't even know if that'll if the foreclosures will affect anything. They may just be quickly absorbed by investors who are kind of sitting waiting on the sidelines. And we may still continue to have a seller's market. So I really, hopefully supply issues will get better because right now, some of the price increases, especially in new construction, are due to supply and demand and just having very, very little supply and actually like short material shortages. So lumber and all that. I'm hoping things will balance out a little bit because I've got so many buyers who are just wanting to get into a home and they can't. But yeah, I, I don't know what it's going to look like. Yeah, I think that's a great answer for anyone that's listening. We can never predict. If we did, we would have uh, probably as rich as Warren Buffett. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And as a real estate investor for our audience that's listening, do you happen to have a favorite real estate investing or business book that you would recommend? Gosh, anything by Bigger Pockets Publishing mm. is great. My favorite is the book on rental property investing by Brandon Turner. And of course, I would be remiss if I didn't mention my own book. I have a little, it's an introductory little book. It's supposed to be easily digestible for anyone who's interested in 
getting into real estate. It's called How to Invest in Real Estate Like a Homegirl. That's perfect. And the last question I have for you today is where can our audience find you? Instagram is probably the best platform. My handle is just my first name, Tiffany, period, Alexi. Awesome. I'll make sure to include that in the show notes today. And I know our audience will find a lot of value out of this interview. And and I want to thank you for your time today. Yeah. Thank you again for having me. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the Real Estate Investing Exposure Podcast. For full show notes on today's episode, go to podcastingyou.com. That's podcastingyou.com. If you have feedback from today's episode, feel free to email us at trevor at podcastingyou.com. Thanks for listening.